Next Chapter Podcasts. Hello and welcome back to another exciting edition of How I Got Greenlit. For Alex Collegian, I'm Ryan Gibson. Today we continue our tangent-riddled interrupticon of a conversation with artist and production designer Paul Rice. If this is your first time with the show or haven't heard part one of our conversation with Paul, go back to whence you have come and listen. Listen, dear brothers and sisters, listen. It's a hoot, chock full of goodness. Instead of adhering to the simple rules of the program on choosing the B-side film, in this half of our conversation, we hear what Paul considers to be his personal favorite art direction and production design. So a smorgasbord, a buffet, if you will, of several films Paul really likes. One other thought as we go screaming closer and closer to fall and things continue to loom on, we'd like to say to all our brothers and sisters out there to stay strong. Obviously, it doesn't put money in your bank account, but Alex and I are with you in so many ways. That being said, now, part two with Paul Rice. Thanks for listening. Well, you know, I, I know we're jumping around, but I'm I'm a huge Aronofsky fan and his it's almost like his artistic reputation is pretty fucking bulletproof, but you hear mixed. You hear that the price of genius is he can be tough. I mean, was he I mean, tough? Think, was he I fair? Think, was he I mean I, all I can say about in, in, in him it was in my interaction with him was he knew what he wanted. Okay. Which I think for like when you're at that level, you you good or bad or however it is, the worst thing to do is not know what you want. <laughs> you know? I, I, I think from our experience together recently, yes, Paul, we can say not knowing what you want or not coming with a plan can be yeah. really bad. Yeah, I mean, I, I really respect it. I, I really respect anybody who has a vision. Uh, you know, even if it's outside of you know, Aronofsky aligns with like things I like, so I can kind of go along for the ride. But you know, there's other people that I can respect that you know. I don't think I like their movies as much or, or their music or this stuff, but they're, they're, you know, they're hardworking. They know what they like and they go for it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, you know, it's like the, the, the difference of like working with an artist as opposed to a director is one thing I'll say is nice is that it's pretty direct, you know, where like a director is, has, has production, has studio, has all these layers. Um, usually working with artists, um, the gallery gives them like, you go, you figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, just come uh, come with your shit, bring yes. your stuff, whatever you want. So, would you say from small budget to big budget that any director is going to have to answer to the man, right? Like, Without there's a doubt. no. I think, yeah. but I think you have to. I've seen, I've, I've actually seen systems where they people were not answering and didn't have anything, and and they kind of flailed a bit. I think every you need a bit of like of you need a bit of constriction. You need a bit of container. To even even if you fight against it, because if you're like sometimes if you're given full reign, you can go, you can kind of get lost in the alleys, you know. In that way, um, I think I think uh, we've uh, seen it many times before. Yes, I mean I think that's for me that's a role of a good producer is is uh, sharing the same vision as the director, 
having, but like shielding, but also, you know, kind of the bumper, like if you were, you know, like in, in a, in bowling, like the bumper bowling, like a little bit. Yeah. Of yeah. Up. Defining, defining the parameters that they can be creative within. It can't just Correct. be free range. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I have a hard time with that. I have a hard time with, uh, I've worked with other producers and other, you know, all different kinds of projects. And, um, I, I don't like, I think people sometimes think I like saying no for whatever reason, usually financial. <laughs> and, it, and it's actually not, it's not the case for me. It's that no one else is saying no. And Correct. someone, someone has to say no. And, yeah, and right. even if they're the constraint or keeping it on the rails, it just always happens to where you know, someone, it's not to be negative or contrarian. It's like, you have to understand there is a fine, there are finite resources in time, like Correct. money and time are the biggest things when our, in our, what we do. I think probably in anything, I, I would say even for artists making an installation. Yeah. We have a due date. We have a budget. We have like every, every, every you always want usually more than what you can get and stuff like that. I, I mean, that's why you have a, I mean, that's why there's a, a, an assistant director. You know, somebody's got to run the show. And that's why, like, you know, for me as a production designer, I'll have a really good art director. I have a couple of really good art directors. And, like, you know, they keep – so I can be all spacey. I can go off and be flowery and and creative. And they bring it back to be like, well, that's going to cost this, this, and this. And, you know, it's the – you know, again. Right. So, Ryan, Ryan, just tell the folks, what does an assistant director do in – uh, I, well, I, the, the way I equated assistant director and I will say this, I think it is the most important position on any film. It is definitely in the top one, two or three positions, but I would, I listed it usually the top because they are the conductor that keeps the train on time 100%. and they break and they break it down to the minute and uh, they know here's the problem though. The power is not with them. They're only the conductor. So if it's so if the weather gets bad, so people can blow them off depending yeah. on how senior. Oh, they it are. happens every production, and it usually right. comes sadly from the director who they you know they're trying to make them look good, and the director's trying to make what their vision is to look. So good. would you say an assistant director is more like a producer, and it's sort of a. Yeah, I you know, without right. the money aspect, they don't have to worry about the money aspect. They just have to worry about the time. Right. And it's it's the gold, you know, I always equate it to the gold mine. You know, we're all in the gold mine looking for the nuggets and we're everyone's got the pickaxes and we're going to town and the, the you know, the oxygen needs to be replenished in 12 hours. So like you got to get it done in 12 hours and there's no going back to that vein. So, and if you have to go back to that vein, there's a Ooh. price to pay yeah. price to pay. And so okay. I just think they're the ones who lay out the plan. They take the script, they break it down. Uh, they, they, you know, due to location and timing and you kind of have to work with the production team on what days you can get locations and you know, when things fall in the calendar and then they've come up with basically the battle plan and it's not a create it's creative in that you have to fit all of the Tetris pieces in. I'm using a lot of, uh, uh mixed metaphors, yeah, mixed metaphors, <laughs> but, but there, there's no, I would never want to be an assistant director. Okay. Uh, I think yeah. it, it's not, by the way, folks, just a key. It's really not a path to being a director. 
Uh, yeah, that's now, the misnomer. Is you think, oh, if I'm just an assistant director for now, a year, I could be really, a grown-up director. If you're a really good assistant director, that's what you're going to do because the, the like you can tell on set when there's a really good assistant director. There, just, there, the, the it's, palpable. Right. it's palpable that yeah. it, whether the person has control or not control. Correct. Really, yeah. adult. Yeah, it's true in the room. And and I gotta say, like coming, kind of flowing back and forth between the fine art world and the movie world i gotta say like movie world are badass man like the level of craft and the level of uh um dedication and discipline is amazing like you know it's it is i mean everybody talking it is a money-making kind of phenomenon it's different but doesn't matter like the the craft that's come to film is amazing like the kind of stuff that comes out would you say there's a difference uh, I know sometimes art is installed and removed, but with film, it only has to be good enough to shoot and dump. Right? Oh, 100%. Like, like you're not building it to last no. for a hundred years in a town square, like a, you know, an iron sculpture yeah. or whatever. Right. Like it's just, it looks right. And it will probably fall apart in a stiff wind like 10 minutes later. Right? Oh man. Yeah. It, it, uh, it mean, we, yeah, it, it, there's a beauty of that because I, I don't know, it kind of, all you have to get it is like there for the moment. So yeah, when I, when I f- flip through different worlds, it's just a longer arc though. Like, it, like the, yeah. for instance, like a, this project I'm working on with Derek, I mean, we've been talking about it for a year, you know, and we've been mm-hmm. planning and it's like, you know, it, it, it's, Usually by the time, like, let's say a low, lower budget movie comes to me, you know, we like, we got six weeks, you know, <laughs> if, you're, six... if you're, if you're lucky, exactly. If I'm lucky, we have six weeks. <laughs> right. One of the, my, one of the first times, uh, when Paul and I were on set together, we had met previously before we started the, the project that we met on. And, um, we were at a very, I would say that location other than its position in the world, which is in Topeka near the top of Topanga Canyon. Yeah. It was pretty cool. The, oh, no. the house was cool. It was a, oh, it's an all glass wall house in the middle of nowhere. And we, everyone was pretty much posted up in pop-ups outside and walking into your domicile, uh, <laughs> which was you walk into <laughs> basically a 20 by uh, a pop-up and a 10 by pop-up next to it. And all of the, accoutrement that was in there was like that's the world uh, that's your world it's just uh, like it. yeah i mean again like it's i mean you know my ideal would be a, i would love to do a big world building you know multi-feature kind of thing it's a it's just the the going there kind of thing i mean i you know my, i it's i i have to say i quietly you know i'm a big lord of the rings fan because like when i was a kid I remember specifically like our TV died. We didn't really have a lot of money at that time. TVs were not a hundred dollars at, at a uh, Walmart. And right. so my dad read the, like that winter read the Lord of the Rings. And I like, right. like it just like basically got emblazoned in my brain, but that, that mind of like world building, I just love that the possibilities in film that you can do is amazing. Yeah. And you, and that's where you painted pictures in your mind. Right. right. And, and, like- and then when it came around, you know, I remember when I first was working in film, like when I, when I sort of saw what could happen with Julie Taymor's movie uh, and then on from, to the next, I, I was just blown away by what was possible, but also, it, but also at the same time, amazed at like anything like that could happen. The amount of like right. resources at any effort, one time. Yeah, at the same time, I mean, like, think about a shoot day on a major film is like, 
holy shit, like that's a lot of money that took to get to that one place. Let me ask you a process. Let me ask you a process question. Um, and I think this goes to what you said about directors knowing what they want are the most important thing in your process. Um, if you have to dress or build or design a space, a set, uh, or a real world set, um, are you concerned with like, is it important to know the shot selection or do some directors say, build it out like it's real. I'll find the shots once you're done. Yeah. It, or yeah. which is better, which is. I mean, you know, I, what, I did. What? I worked with, when I first started doing productions, I, I started doing music videos and I worked with Jake Nava, who did a lot of, you know, uh, uh, Beyonce and all, like a lot of top level stuff we were doing. And we did a Arctic Monkeys and a Lana Del Rey together. And basically his style was like, he didn't really want to, you know, like some directors would go out like, what color towel do you want? He didn't want, he like wanted a vibe. Like he wanted it cool. He wanted the whole place hot, you know, and he would choose. And then he would turn be like, there, there. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, then yeah, I would, okay. I, I, another guy I worked with, Matt Stosky, um, he, he knew exactly what he wanted. He knew where he's, you know, like kind of that, you know, the Wes Anderson mindset. I know the, the angle, the shot, the lens, the, everything. And then, you know, then, it, you know, for me, it's about efficiency. That's where I'm a good with the producer is like, okay, what do we see? Right. What do we see? Why, why make the third wall? Right. If it's right. But so then, that's kind of that director, you know, like Jake Nava wanted the fifth wall, you know, he wanted to be able to go to the next room. <laughs> he wanted the fifth wall. Yeah. And, 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 and almost like it's, I mean, it's a credit to you. If you're doing great work, he's getting this instant inspiration and he's like, guys, 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 right. that's the angle. And right? then he created this I cool mean, little corner. Like, I'm, I want this. Yeah, I'm definitely haven't talked about the ones that didn't work, you know, and like some, you know, like, <laughs> uh, obviously the early on, like when I, you know, it's, I mean, I, I ended, you know, it's funny with, with being anything in film is realizing that you do, there is a, I think there is an importance to kind of walking up, um, budget wise and, and, and size wise, because I, I've saw people who kind of moved up too quickly, couldn't handle the uh, sort of massiveness of like the, you know, different sets, the different shots, the different, the demands is that. So it de- scaled too quickly and they kind of got overwhelmed by. It's a lot. Yeah. And, and that response, that, I think, yeah. you, I think, I think, you know, it, for good or bad, I mean, we all can, mm-hmm. we know the good and bad, but the good is that if it's done if it's a right, you kind of move up. And then when you're at a higher level, you have the wherewithal to know how to handle a budget, you know? Yeah. It's, it's serious. I mean, serious things are on the line. Like if you think about, I don't know what the final budget for Aronofsky's Noah was. I think it was like 125. So yeah. how many shoot days did they do? 81. So if you just pretty, pretty, uh, pretty easy math. So it had 125 divided by 81. Uh, I'll just do it real quick in my well, head. pre-production was, I think we did, I did before my shoot came up, I from the, we had to deal with all the animals and stuff. It was, we had almost eight months. I think to your point though, is that they are, there are real, it, unlike I think in the, in, in nature, let's in quote unquote nature, there are real artisans that still exist in the film business that I don't know exists any. I don't know how they exist anywhere else. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, they, they, it's it's so specific. I mean, I think that's. I remember when I was uh, in in art school, the the Toshio Date, this Japanese sculptor that was trained in the traditional uh, craft, was talking about what's the difference between craft and art. 
He said, because in the sense he used the example of the samurai sword, like the artisans got it, the craftsmen got it to such a high level that they actually don't know now how to make a traditional samurai sword in the same way. But then when that went away, it died. But why did art stay? And he was, he basically said art is in the service of society. So where the craft is in service of the, the, the industry or the demand, the the need, the specific need. need. So within that, within our movie industry, yeah, without a doubt, like, you know, but but does one start as one and become another? Like, isn't, aren't those swords now pieces of art? They are pieces. Yeah. But they're, they're that way because no one's there to make more. I mean, and think about it. Like there's, I was just talking with, with Emily, who's a, my friend set decorator, Two-time Emmy winning. Um, you can say her. You can say her name. Emily Abel. She's she's a friend of the she's a friend of the show. Um, we were just talking about how the writer strike and like Artie is something like uh, Evan Hayes and uh, which does all your like if you need to have they like they have all your documents if you're doing a police movie in the 1930s and you need to do a police station. Right, and they I have love all that. the documents, yeah. all the stuff. They have magazines from 1932. And then, and then you yeah. and they were talking about history for hire. Well, after the they survived the the pandemic and now that we're up against this long writer strike you know there there's even worry that those will go away i'm blowing my mind too there was all this talk when uh, discovery bought warner brothers they just dumped all these archives like these like you know from the 30s 40s 50s of like these life masks that they took of all these actors that they used to you know to to make life masks or basically you pour the plaster oh, yeah. on someone's face oh yeah definitely the, the tubes up their nose yeah, yeah. Or no, but those are amazing so you had all these like you know clark gable's life master like this get this trash out of here we got to save on the rent you know it's, yeah there's a lot of that i mean it's been through history like you know the i don't know if you know this but you know most of the cells of the early warner brothers and disney and cells being the yeah the clear the animation cellophane, yeah um they they had people that would come in and wash them off and reuse them it's a, right? it's a tough thing. Like, what is it to archive? Like, what, like, you know, what is it to keep things? And and I go back to like there was these elements like when my father's shop dissolved, like in in talking about those things that were around since like the 30s and 40s. These amazing like sculptural elements. These these amazing things that like were from a time that's gone. Well, like you know, because they were crazy and they didn't have the space. It's kind of what you were just talking about about these cells or. Or like it's usually guys. dollars and cents. They just, just see like who's sorting it, who's paying for it. Like it's not really good. And, and, and why? Yeah. Yeah. And you, I mean, and yeah. unfortunately you lose that bit of history. That's really, really interesting about this craft that we have. That's, uh, you know, I, I don't think a lot of people know it, but especially on the universal lot, you know, there's our, every film, usually from a studio they have in the studio somewhere on the lot, they have an archival building where they keep all of the celluloid, all the film um, stored. And I know on the universal lot, it's about a three story building made of like six foot thick wall concrete because a lot of the old stock, oh yeah, uh, if you open it wrong, uh, will explode. Yeah. It's actually flammable. Yeah. From, from the oxygen, like, right. Wow. And, and they caused a lot of fires. We lost a big chunk of all the movie, the silent era movies. And during the last some one, of them, Ryan, they'll, they'll start, I think they store copies on like, I don't know where the originals are, but there is these like legendary tales of like salt mines that have perfect, uh, uh, 
you know, air quality, they're cold and they're, right. you know what I mean? They'll, they'll store right, they'll, constant they'll temperature, constant, uh, barometric tra- pa- pressure, constant, no erosion, no moisture, the seed vaults in, in Norway and the ice. It's kind of yeah. like that, except it's for, you know, citizen Kane or whatever. So in fact, there's another story, uh, all the tonight shows with Johnny Carson before 1974, uh, were erased to reuse the tape. No way. Yeah, NBC was just like, come on, what, what am I buying tape? Just it's fine. So race it, <laughs> use it again. What am I made of money? We're gonna take a break from Paul and all the tangents that we're weaving, all the webs. I'm gonna go back to a conversation we had this year with Z Chun, a personal favorite of mine. Z's just did the Gremlins Mogwai show with Steven Spielberg. He was a great guest. In this clip, he talks about how much rejection it takes before you reach success. I think there's a meter for that. I think think you can get it on Amazon. You know, that first three and a half, four years, I made 12 short films. And I guess I wrote three features. And, you know, the thing about the rejection part of it was, you know, I was making these movies on the weekends, roping my friends into it. Each one of those, you know how it is. It's not easy to make a short film. when no one's getting paid. And um, I made 12 of them. And 11, 11 of them never got into a single film festival. And this was at the time when um, rejections were mailed. And I vividly yeah. remember coming back to my mailbox and sometimes there'd be like two or three rejection letters <laughs> on top of each other. And every night I would wake up in the middle of the night and think like, am I doing something wrong? Am I doing something? Am I am I am I not good enough to do this? And you know, the shorts were all really different. Um, the one thing that I think united a lot of them was I felt like I was trying to do what I thought other people wanted me to do, or what like a short film was supposed to do. And it was really my twelfth short film that was um, it was a short called Window Breaker. I think I had burnt through favors from friends because this was the smallest crew of anything that I had worked on. And, you know, I had worked with small crews. It was a, so Window Breaker was a short film that um, was semi-autobiographical about um, some, like a string of break-ins in a small neighborhood and um, the paranoia that ensues. It's a mixed race neighborhood um, uh, based on the neighborhood I grew up in, Randolph. Um, I wrote a three page outline uh, I was like, I, I, I'm, I'm just going to shoot this and improv everything. Um, shot it in my childhood home. My mom is in it. Uh, we casted some kids from the neighborhood. Um, I held the camera. My producer who acted in the movie was holding the boom when he wasn't in the shot. He was sometimes in the scene, but he was just like put, you know, put like a soccer ball or something as an eyeline for the other actor and they held the boom. <laughs> the crew was my then girlfriend, now wife's little sister and her best friend who were, who were in high school at the time. And then I rented the lighting kit from the same lighting uh, rental place that I rented lights from in high school. The lighting kit was $70 for the weekend. And we shot it on mini DV for $600 uh, and it got into Sundance. Um, but it was um, it was like, it was the first time where I was like, I wanna just, try to make a movie feeling confident that I should just do 
something that felt right as opposed to what other people wanted. Make sure you go back and listen to this episode with Z and all our old episodes of how I got greenlit. Now, back to the show. So what I would love to ask you is just, just off the top of your head, you know, what are some of your, you know, all timer, uh, production design oh, wow. films? Wow. You know, I mean, I guess, you know, one, of, there's a Swedish film I really love called songs from the second floor. It's actually, you should check it out. It's a, it's, it's a Swedish film that's like... Is it in all, Swedish? It is, but it's so... Man, it's all, it, every every shot's a lock-off. And it just sits there. Every shot's a lock-off? Like, you just sit there. And you and, it, and then the scene happens. That sounds like it, French. Like a it, French... Yeah, it, it's very... Like, that it, sounds like Tarkovsky. It is very indie. I, I mean, like, it depends. Like, I mean, dude, I mean, it, I, I love Guillermo del Toro. I mean, that seems like... But I mean, something like... Yeah, what he ends up coming to is always really, really well. I, I like that blend of what he always ends up doing with this fantasy reality, really pretty, really the, the, the really rich production design. The thing we keep in there is an affront. And I should know, I dragged it all the way here. But it's all from a singular vision. Like some movies feel like a chock-a-block of many different visions. His thing from – like Tim Burton is another. And I think it's because they – even like Ridley Scott had a lot of art direction background, right? The the ones that – I don't know if they can draw or they can just really describe it to people. But they have this – just this – Every single piece of it feels of a whole. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Did you ever see the Delicatessen? The old one, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah good absolutely. example, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it, it, I, those are the things that I'm usually drawn to in that way of like these, those like really, like it, I like it, it, a realized. It's realized, vision. but it's also like it, you know, I, I don't think anybody's gonna call me for like Boston legal. You know, it's a, it's not, <laughs> it, it's it's not really like. <laughs> Is that still on? No. I think you might be dating yourself. I, is, I am. I think no, William Shatner was seventy when he made that show, and he's ninety-eight now. I know. I like. I was awake. <laughs> We're awake. We're there. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, so being that said, it's like yeah, it goes back to the the kind of you know. I think the the what I love about theater is that, and what I love about movies is this possibility for um, you know. Go breaking these rules and breaking having another world happen. I mean, I, I always well, that's world right. It's world building. Like King it's of the tough. Hill as a as a animation. Well, that that's a world, but yeah, I mean, it was like, I it guess, was like something I, they could have done as a normal sitcom. Like the whole point of a of an animation is like you break the normal bounds of physics in the world. Well, they used to call it yeah. So I I worked I worked in animation for Disney, and they they would call it animation imperative. Like if you if you pitch them an idea that was like you said, almost like could be better rendered on live action. They would say, well, what's the point of like animating this thing for two years in Korea? Like what, (laughs) you know, like soup it up. Like what, what can we do in animation that no one else can pull off? You know, that fantastical or big budget, you know, it's like even comic books, you know, they say like, Hey, it's billions of dollars of budget per page because 
it's pure imagination and you don't have to, you know, as you said, you know, get 130 guys in a, in a giant warehouse in, uh, in Brooklyn to build Noah's Ark. Right. You can just like draw it. Oh right? yeah. I mean, well, I mean, think about it, like Mandalorian did like, I think always, you know, folks are trying to get rid of production designers because it's expensive. Well, that's fascinating. So let's talk about that a little bit. So just for the folks at home. So, and, and I'm sure most, almost everybody now sort of understands film movie magic, you know, from the documentaries about Star Wars and this and that and the other, the latest, greatest thing now is, you know, you, we've all seen green screen and blue screen. Now they have this thing called the volume, mm-hmm. the, uh, which is basically a super sophisticated led screen, not unlike you'd see in times square moving billboards, but now, you know, they, they put it in a set and it becomes a photorealistic uh, environment yeah. that they're in. But I will say right? it's interesting. I, I just went with my son and watched that, the newer, the newest uh, Batman. And I mean, of course, I think it really works when you get in these like large scale things, but I could tell they were in this interior scene. And I could tell they, the, instead of going like that next 20 feet was this sort of volume. stopped. Yeah, it, it just, you could, I mean, you could, no matter how yeah. good it is. You could, you could feel the borders well, of it's it. Like, it's funny because my wife is an animal trainer and like when they got to something like Jungle Book, and I mean, look at what, what was the uh, Call of the Wild with, with, uh, uh, with Harrison Ford with the fake dog. dog. They, they put a fake dog, I mean like a dog. I mean, a dog is like, they put a fake dog in a, in a dog movie. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and, That's so he could be like, Ryron Trollo. And it, and it flopped, man. Because, like, you, I mean, Turner, wow. have you, I don't know if you've seen Turner and Hooch anytime lately, but it's, man. It's on, it's on my replay. Tom Hanks <laughs> and that dog, man. They, they, they love each other. I, would, I would know, but let's let's go back one. Jungle Book was completely CG. 100%. There was no live animals. That's a, that is an animated movie but that you purports to not be, right? Like, you, I mean, as good as it was, and as like all everything. You, you people know, and like, and, right. and I think it's, gonna, it's a question of like, you what is important people. for the vision of it? Like, you know, obviously having real animals there is a big problem and it's expensive, but I, I would also argue, I would also argue that I, I'm not a big fan of the Mandalorian. It's not that I hate it. It's not that I have a real issue with it. I just, it, it just wasn't something I would also say it was, it was better than the book of Boba Fett. Yes. That, that being said, Andor was almost used. I don't think they used the volume at all, uh, or they used it very sparingly. And I would say the art direction and the production design on that show is, uh, I mean, it's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it's always, but you know where they mess up with like Mandalorian or any of those star Wars is when they go into the villages, that's where it goes bad. Yeah. And you know what? To like socially, I don't know. It's like, Everybody's too Do you think it's because man-made stuff and we our eyes kind of can can feel the the like the not truth of it like a rock uh, out in the desert is easy but like I mean dep- a, a, it's a funny, villagers right? baskets and stuff is you know is that where you they lose you I think they just lose me story wise maybe <laughs> Well that's a, look let's look it's not Look, the volume. It's, a it's not strike, your volume. Okay. It's, the, it's, it's, it's the no, story. No, no, but uh, no, it, it, totally. I mean, look. It, well, let me ask you. I'm trying to get to the 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 question is, isn't a production designer deciding what's on the volume wall, right? Isn't that a design thing? Absolutely. It's just a different uh, it's process. Funny. At that point, we 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 
bring to the deciders what we imagine would be the best thing for that that wall. You know, that's okay. certainly. I mean, and also kind of like, take the soul out of it a bit, don't you think, Paul? Yeah, I like. I mean, I will always like be interested in real. I mean, I think it, it's funny, even though even it, the irony of it is that we're on a film, you know, or or not film, digital, something, some media that, but I mean, like, right. but look what filmed it. I just did that. I, I was just production design, um, a movie that was at Sundance. It just premiered as those, uh, Soderbergh's new executive producing kind of low, like lo-fi retro sci-fi, uh, divinity. My dream is for the future of this planet. Eddie Alcazar is the director, kind of came up with the idea. He's basically a protege of Soderbergh. So Soderbergh really was like more of a stamp than yeah, than yeah. on the ground. He's the, he's the presented by, uh, right. yeah, yeah. But the, but the thing that, that was interesting about what Eddie does is we, we had a whole fight scene we did in stop motion. So this like kind oh. of, and then a lot of the kind of effects and a lot of stuff was like that a la like 80s, like, this kind of retro futurism is kind of was very hip. It, it, he, he did he did well with it, but anyway, he shot and he shot the whole thing in film, and and then converted it to digital, and then reworked it again. But it was this idea. It was so funny that he wanted to begin with film, to then go on. Yeah, yeah. sounds like a colossal waste of money. Well, I mean, look, we can have that debate as well. That. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know if you know this, Paul, but I, I did a show called project Greenlight, And on, uh, the season four, that was the big debate was the director that won, uh, was like, it's gotta be unfair. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know. that's the thing is like, is it the, is it the, the LP of the moment? You know what I mean? Where it's like, uh, <laughs> right. it's like, this, right. Cause I, I, it's warmer sound, man. It's a warmer sound. Right. You can feel the pops and hisses. Yeah. I mean, I know in Oppenheimer, they designed a new kind of they used the same they rebuilt one of the old cameras the high speed cameras it's called a rotating i can't remember shit anyway um yeah but it's the way they actually filmed the nuclear blasts back in the day it's like this giant box of a camera like eight you know six feet by six feet by six feet and it's got rotating lenses in it and it can shoot yeah, it's crazy. Well, the, I mean, he shoots a lot on IMAX. It, and it's, I saw, it's interesting. Do you know how loud that sucker really? is? It's like the olden days. Oh, yeah, yeah, they have to put the, like- You remember? Do you remember when they would put the baffles around the like pads around it so it oh, camera? Son, and that's crazy. For film. Yeah, so like film cameras, they go. Yeah. You know, so they would put these pads around. So IMAX is like. I mean, it's super duper loud and. A lot of times they just have to ADR the whole scene because it's just grinding away. It's just because it's that loud. Yeah, yeah. You know, it goes back to what you said where we, I I mean, obviously we all three of us don't have a ton of experience outside of filmmaking, television making, you know, the thing that we do. But it feels like one of the last bastions, as you said, Paul, of – the artisan, the craftsman, the apprentice, and the master. Yeah, it's for like, real. Like you know, like right? Yeah, I mean, like you know, a green person on set, and you know somebody. Yeah. I mean, oh, absolutely. 
So Mark Friedberg was kind of like the the blacksmith that's been making swords for 50 years and you come in as the young buck and he's like, all right, here's the hammer. Here's the anvil. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah. That, I mean, that he brought of up thing. a whole cadre yeah. of, of folks, but like it's in, because it's, it's not just art. I mean, it's, it's not just anything. It's not just one thing. Cause there's the politics involved. There's the people that a wrong email can mess you up. You know what I mean? Like, do you think it was always like that or is that a more recent phenomenon? I think it's always been like that. It's 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 a political, it's a diplomatic uh, diplomatic mission as well as right. A, it, it, if you're artistic. a production designer, you're one of the keys, so you're gonna be it's you're gonna be in all those spots. And like, how do you get to that spot? Because I've been around production right. designers, some who are really great, and some who you're like, how the fuck did you get this job? But they're good at because they play the politics. game. <laughs> they're really good at managing the politics. They manage up. Yeah, they don't manage exactly. down. There's a lot of that. I I 100% agree that there are people who get into positions and they're great. They're not. They're nice enough folks. Uh, and and clearly they got there for a reason or they're there for a reason. I'm just not necessarily sure every time what the reason is. <laughs> or they're there because, like you said, they're they're easy to work with. I mean, there's a whole I could you know mute my mic. I'll I'll list off five directors that are huge A list people, and it's only just because they're easy to work with. It's not because they're actual oh, artists. Oh yeah, we the layover yeah. rule. Like, who do you want to be stuck with on a layover? Right. Like, oh, interesting. Right. Yeah. That's that's a the good. I like that. Rule. I like that rule. <laughs> that's a good, I've never heard that before. I, I actually it was came from. Um, when I, I was a scenic artist in New York and I worked at the Metropolitan Opera, which is like at that time had this old uh, contract where after seven hours you were at double overtime. It was incredible. Contract. Gig. So like, so to get there, it was, it, we also said it was where scenics go to die because it was all these older scenics, but because I was a sculptor, it's usually very physical. Um, like I got in pretty early on some projects and then you're sitting around lunch, having nice conversation with these folks. Everybody's very smart, cultured, all this kind of stuff. And that's what they said. They, these old timers were like, they literally said, it's like, well, there's plenty of talent. It's just who we want to have lunch with is how we'd pick. Oh, that's because yeah. they're like, yeah, I mean, there's going to be, they, they, and, and it's that thing. I was like, Oh, that's, it was a really a, one of those mo- moments that you're like, I got to remember that because that matters. Well, it's a, it's a fascinating thing for young people coming up because they, they're forced to make a decision, right? And one of them is, maybe it's in the office versus the set, right? There's kind of that two, two sides of the entertainment business, development class, post-production class, and the production on the set class, right? right. In, the, in, the, in the agency executive kind of area, being a dick is almost like taught to be a positive operating principle, right? <laughs> right, because uh, you have right. uh, you, it's all about your air, like because like you're selling air, right? At that point. Yeah, and even <laughs> like in the agencies, it's very much like a fraternity. They'll abuse the staff oh, yeah. and whatever. I mean, not as much, by the way, not as much in the modern times, but a lot of sort of like shitting down, and then they become agents, and then they shit down, and yeah. it was just kind of this, that fraternity, this, this fraternity. young people's come to believe that the only way to, to to not be taken advantage of is to be an asshole, right? right? And so maybe some people try that on the set, but what's interesting because it's collaborative, they don't tend to last because it's just it's exhausting. Uh, You're right. like, look. They are the best at their thing, but I, I'd rather get the pretty good and just live my life. Right. Uh, right. Yeah, definitely. The cost of genius guy. Right. We've all met him. Yeah. Her. It's a lot. 
yeah. it's a lot, you know, and we do, you know, I mean, and it's, it's that funny thing. The only, usually the people that can get away with that is actors, you know, they'll, you can, <laughs> they can have that, but you know, but then, right. you know, the cool, like the coolest actor, I, I remember uh, Anthony Hopkins, uh, my wife was working on Westworld and there was a scene where he's doing this two page monologue and he, and a dog comes up, he pets it and kind of moves on, but he was having trouble with the scene. So, you know, he asked that the dog not be used in the scene so he could get through it. And so they asked, and the next day, my wife kept getting this phone call from a, a non, you know, non-listed number. And she finally answered it. And it was Anthony Hopkins calling my wife to tell her to make sure that he said, I was having a tough day with my dialogue. I want you to know that you and the dog didn't, wasn't responsible. Anthony Hopkins. Wow. You know, and like, to, she's like, I, and she's worked with everybody. Like, like yeah. literally work with like on all levels and stuff. And she said, that's the only time ever, somebody's ever even considered that, you know, but wow. that took a lot that, that I had, had a lot of uh, respect for that. You know, it's cla- classy. It's very, all right, Anthony Hopkins. That's, Good yeah, job yeah. for Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, that was a positive theater one. clap for Anthony. Hopkins. <laughs> Paul, this has been another insanely fun episode of how I got greenlit. I appreciate it. It was fun. Yeah. Thanks again, Paul. Anytime. Do you uh, so, Paul? You 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 want to promote any of the shows or the fine arts plug? Any, any movies coming out? Films, shoot shows. I mean, you're only at the Met, so you might want to say something about that. I mean, you know, I don't know. I just just make stuff, have fun, get out there, see some shit. <laughs> and thus ends our epic conversation of twists and turns with Paul. Paul's an incredible friend of the show. He's an artist, uh, production designer just a generally good fella and everyone that works with him is amazing like i have firsthand knowledge please remember to subscribe rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts please do this follow us at how i got greenlit on instagram tiktok and twitter email us at how i got greenlit at gmail.com keep the comments coming we really appreciate the support We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Paul and found some creative inspiration in our talk. Join us next week for another hot off the presses edition of how I got greenlit for Alex Collegian. This has been your humble servant, Ryan Gibson. Thank you for joining us. See you next week. Next Chapter Podcasts.